notice you said you had two pieces uh, for this week. So, uh, you know, we don't need to go the entire 90 minutes this time. Uh, and again, folks, the uh, intent is not only for you to send your writing pieces, but uh, any review pieces. So as you know, we have uh, sent now, we have sent more than 2000 books as part of the Indic Book Club, 1000 Reviewers Club. And we have received about 130 reviews, which is not bad, but I think uh, we can wow. be in the few hundreds by now. But again, one of the points I want to stress is that writing good reviews is uh, surprisingly tough. We, even those of us who are very prolific readers, we, we often underestimate the, the amount of work it can take to bring out a good review. And this is something that Otis has stressed on many number of times before that, uh, 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 you know, a review has to also inform. You cannot uh, sort of, uh, you know, be, even, even if you don't like a book, you, even if you hate the book, it has to be cogent enough to tell someone who's reading a review from a neutral point of view why the book is not good or why you don't like it. I mean, uh, one of the points is that if you don't like a book, why would you expend even more energy in writing a review that uh, you know criticizes the book? But uh, in some cases, you may feel that as important enough to do to put a point of view across. But even if you like a book, then, you know, one of the worst ways of writing a review is by saying, I love the book. I, the book is great. The author is great. The book is fast paced. It is exciting. It is thrilling. It's a page turn. And that doesn't tell me as the reader of a review, anything about that book, absolutely zero information. So, which is why I suggest, I recommend, I urge everyone who's getting a, a book or even otherwise, if you're reading books and you want to develop the craft of writing reviews to send in your samples, again, about 800 words in length. And that is usually, I think, what a, a review should in any case be. But send an 800 word uh, uh, writing sample or of a review to Otis and uh, we'll use these sessions to go over you know, the do's and don'ts of good reviews and good writing. So with that, I'll turn that over to you, Otis. Okay, great, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the ways to also to just think about a review is, you know, ideally, many more people read your review than will eventually read the book because the book is a much greater commitment of time. And so you're able to co communicate to a larger audience in a review something, as um, Abhinav is saying, something cogent um, about the author, if you really like the author, you know, try and delve into why the author is really working, you know, like, why is this author good, in a sense? Um, if you don't like the book, I, I will really encourage you to always be balanced. Whether you like it or don't like it, try to be balanced. You have to play both sides, both the person who you are you know, represent them and their point of view, but also be a writer that's able to see other points of view. This is this is the key for us as writers. <laughs> the, probably the one key for us as writers is that not only as a writer, as a person up here, you know, with this sort of omniscience, limited omniscience, or however you want to call it, we understand that we as an individual have a point of view, but we also understand that everybody else has a point of view. If we don't understand that, frankly, we're going to have a really hard time being a writer. <laughs> this is, you know, we're going to have a really hard time 
putting, uh, let's say, multiple characters on the page, multiple points of view on the page, if we don't understand that multiple points of view exist, we are, we've really tied our hands. We're, we're, we're not really doing the thing that writers do. Writers probably our defining characteristic is that we do understand that there are multiple points of view. And then the other thing that we understand is that there's a universality among all people that we're all driven by the same forces. So that as writers, we understand these two things that each and every one of us is absolutely unique and that each and every one of us are at absolutely driven by the same human motivations. So that we have uniqueness and universality combined. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's an unbelievably maybe difficult concept for, so, you know, for people to wrap their minds around, but the, but the writer is able to contain contradictory truths. This is the thing about the writer. They contain contradictory truths that we're all unique and that we're all the same. That seems a contradiction. This is what the writer is able to do. Um, so I just encourage you with that. And then um, on another sort of broad, a broad um, platform, Ram, Ram, I hope you don't mind if I use your email. Uh, Ram emailed me uh, this week and he said, he said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't handed anything, but, uh, but I, you know, I, you know, I have so many things to do. And of course, you know, as my, as my grandfather used to say, I actually just attribute it to my grandfather. I actually say this as my grandfather used to say, there's always a reason to do what you want. <laughs> a kind of uncompromising position. But Ram was saying, you know, I had so much to do, I wasn't able to write anything. But then he said, but also, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, am I going to be able to write? And um, I, I wanted to address that. If there's one skill, one single skill for the, for the, for the writer to have, it is this one, that we're able to be comfortable with our doubts. That's it. We have to be comfortable with our doubts. We are not going to be free of our doubts. <laughs> if, we're, if we're a writer, if we're a writer that's worth, you know, worth our salt, as they say, we are not going to be ever, we're never going to be over our doubts. So I am on the right track. You are absolutely on the right path. <laughs> you are you. on the right path. That's reassuring. And, and, the, and the truth is, we are never going to be over even struggling with our doubts. Okay. We are never going to be over struggling with our doubts. So, <laughs> so our lives have the, 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 two, the two modes of struggling with our doubts and then just trying to to breathe, right? We, we know this, the value of this, to breathe and basically to forget that we have them, okay? We don't solve it. We just forget that we have them and we don't think about it. Right. So we have our doubts, ah, like that, anxiety. And then we have our, just forget about it for a little while and do our thing. Right. That's it. Thank you. This is very, <laughs> very interesting. Yep. 
I, can't, I mean, I wish I could tell you something else, but I can't. From my experience, I can tell you nothing other than what I've just told you. So, okay. <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, uh, Ashvani, um, this is uh, this is your review. So let's take a look at it. Um, tell us a little bit, Ashvani. Tell us a little bit about this work. About the book or about the review? Which, whichever you want to talk to about. Okay, this yeah, book was uh, okay, this book was uh, sent out by another, uh, you know, a different uh, book club kind of a thing, and uh, they, in fact, it was an advance reader's copy even before the book was published, but I sort of didn't get the time to do it at that time, but you know, I wanted to be honest uh, and do the review sometime. So now I finished the book and I wrote this uh, review. Uh, as a book, it was readable. I won't say that, you know, sort of I uh, couldn't stop turning the pages. It wasn't that kind of a book. But uh, hmm. because I am from uh, the northern part of India and I understood some of the, uh, you know, the local uh, dialect and things like that, which has been used in the book. So I found it. Uh, I found myself sort of uh, empathizing with that character, and uh, although the whole book didn't uh, sort of you know come across to me as a very impressive book, which I would go around telling people, "Oh, I just finished this book, and you must read it." It was not that kind of a book. So mm -hmm. it was part of the reason for writing the review was my uh, you know sort of dutiful attitude towards if somebody sent me an advanced reader's copy, I must write a review, that kind of a thing. But having said that, uh, when I wrote the review, what I was trying to do was to uh, try and meet all the uh, tenets of review writing that you've been telling us over the past, uh, I think, uh, six sessions. So that is what I was trying to do. And whether I succeeded or not, I mean, you have to tell me. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think that you did a nice job with this uh, review. The, my, my comments are kind of um, simple, but what, what I think you managed to do for the most part was you, you looked at the work without a sense of bias, right? And you, you sort of talked about some of its strengths. Um, you, I don't, I'm not sure that you discussed its weaknesses as clearly as you just did right now. Like I liked, I, I really liked one, one thing, um, you know, Abhinav was talking about, you know, reviews and, and in a sense talking about the difficulty of reviews, but I would like to balance that with the idea that they're, well, they can seem difficult, but they're also easy. One of the things with writing, I think is that our great difficulty with writing is sometimes that we get in our own way. You know, if that makes sense, we get in our own way. We don't, we don't approach it in a sense naturally. And we also can have this problem of not being able to elevate to the point where we understand that there are multiple points of view, that, that we have one, we should accept that we have one. It's not that we don't have a point of view. We do have a point of view. We are an individual. We are unique. Like you say, you come from the north of India, and therefore you have 
a sense of connection and understanding of the dialect. So all of that was actually really good. You told me that, but I didn't get that in this review. But those, those aspects of uniqueness that you just uh, talked about are things that would be valuable in this review, why you were drawn to the book, why you might've connected with the book, right? So that's valuable. But then as a writer to understand that there are other points of view, there are people who are, don't have your unique experience but have other experiences. And then the question is, will the book speak to them too in these ways? Now you're covering two points of view, the unique point of view that you have and this other point of view that other people might have. And when you talked about it just now, you talked about it very naturally. I, I don't think that was difficult for you to do. You can write that too. You can, you can, you can simply write, you know, um, I, I mean, even it's very personable, just as you said, you know, I, I've received this book. I mean, I'm not against any of these things. We don't have to have some kind of false formalism, you know, and or I, I want to say like, um, this is a little bit, you know, heady, but it's like artifice. We don't need artifice. It might be useful but it might not be useful. It might be more useful for us to be just, you know, have the personality that we have. So the things that you said about it not being that readable for you, that seems like it could be a good thing to include in this, in this review. It might also be good to try and determine for yourself why it wasn't readable, because if you can address that as a, as a person who's a writer also, like, why is it not a page turner? Okay. What, what's, What's preventing that? Because having it be a page turner, that is an aspiration for every writer, I think. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing actually more that I want to do than get the re reader to turn the page, okay? Sure. Because if they don't turn the page, they're not reading anymore, and that's not acceptable. So, so to figure out why it isn't is useful for, for the reader to understand and to understand that there's this criteria of, of wanting to turn the page but also can be useful for you too in thinking about your own writing. Because as a writer, you want to think about that too. This book failed to get me to turn the page. So therefore, what do I need to do to get the reader to turn the page in my work? Okay. Right? Yeah, um, sure. So, so uh, my, my few comments on this one in terms of just getting it done which you know, I think you're very close to doing. I don't understand what kind of book this is. So publishers always categorize their books. Books without a clear category are probably destined for some kind of failure. And that's because the readers who read certain kinds of books go to those bookshelves, basically. We call, it can be metaphysical at this point, right? But they, go, they wanna read a memoir, they go to the memoir bookshelf. They want to read uh, nonfiction or political nonfiction. They go to political nonfiction. Um, if they want to read a novel, they go to novels. So, because we, because readers go to genres, we have to understand also what genre we're talking about. The aspiration of any book, finally, is to reach the maximum audience within the genre and then to break out of that genre and get people from other genres. So that's an aspect for everyone who's writing reviews to keep in mind, right? We've talked about this before, 
But basically, you want to first, you want to address this book is a certain type of book. So it's a type of book. Is it going to um, get the maximum audience in that type? Or are there other books? You know, you're looking for a novel. This is a great novel, but not the best novel of the season, right? You know, something like that. So first you want to address, is it, is it a good, will it get the largest audience of this type of book? And then you're really comparing it to other books of its type. And then the next question is, does it break out of that type to get other readers? These are really the two important questions for publishing, right? They want to get obviously the maximum audience in the type, and then they want to get other audiences. People who would normally read a novel are now going to read the memoir, right? People who normally, I mean, this is what happened. So you're, you're from the North, right, right? So you'll know Krakauer's famous book in the United States anyway, you know, one of the most famous well-known nonfiction books into thin air about the climbers of Everest. Well, that was a huge book here in the United States and worldwide because it got everyone who wanted to read about mountaineering, everybody that wanted to read about mountaineering read that book. Almost everyone who would read sports nonfiction read that book. People who read memoirs read that book. People who read novels read that book. Right. So it basically takes the time that people are going to be reading other books and puts it into this book. That's why that book was so huge. And it was so huge because Krakauer knows how to do all the things that a person who writes a novel knows how to do. He knows how to make you turn a page. A lot of people said that he did a bad job in terms of the mountaineering and that he was part of the problem. Whatever. It does not matter. He is a writer and he knows how to make people both engage with the work and then read the whole goddamn thing. Excuse my language. So these are things that we do want to address. Um, the, in this review, I feel like this beginning um, is, is your, um, it's sort of like, you, it, it's like um, you're expressing yourself in a way, but in an aloof way. You know, you're talking about your interest in sort of the political situation of this time period and having to do with this character. And I think um, you might have, you could have either waited on that or done it in a more personal way. I would probably suggest more personal if you can. It might not be the, the thing you most would choose to do, but, but I think... Uh, I think having personality in a review is a good thing because you finally want your reader, if you're going to develop a, a if you're going to develop your reviewing practice, you actually want the review, the reader, the reader starts to enjoy reading you, right? Your personality and your way of seeing things and your way of expressing things. And so you actually start selling yourself in a sense through your review. Um, and then other than that, I would really just like to know what type of book this is. I'm not clear if it's a memoir, uh, if it's, I think it's a memoir. Do, Ashwani, do you have a sense? Okay, in the uh, third line of para two, 
I say here that as a semi-autographed biographical account of his experiences. So I thought that sort of explained what kind of a book it was. Yeah, no. No, that's a joke, Ashwani. That was I was kidding with you. <laughs> um, yeah, well, okay, so when we get into like semi-autobiographical, okay, I don't even know what semi-autobiographical is. Like, okay. does that mean it's like sometimes true and sometimes, is it, is it sometimes true and sometimes fiction? I don't yes. know. Oh, it, is that what it is? Is that what yes. this book is? I, I explained that it is based on real events in his life, but it's a fictional account. Yeah, then it's fiction. It's not autobiographical. Yes. It can okay. be, sometimes people write what's considered autobiographical fiction, but in general, so autobiographical fiction is something that really a critic would determine because there's so much, the, it, if someone's writing autobiographical fiction, it is very close. Okay. But it's, uh, and usually in first person, but but really, if it's fiction, it's fiction, and we just we, we would talk about it. So it's a not this is a novel. Okay. So if it's fiction and it's a certain length, it will be a novel, and we should we should probably just say it's a novel. You might say that um, the experiences depicted are very close to this writer's actual life if you do some research about their life. Okay. Um, if they if they've revealed in an interview that they base the character on their own experiences, you could say that. But otherwise, we once we call something fiction, we basically say, "Hey, it's made up," you know. But obviously, the things that we make up are drawn from our own experiences on some on some level, always. But yeah, okay. So, so should I have been, should I have said so, that this is a piece of fiction? Yeah. Yeah, that's a novel. It's a, it's a novel then. Um, because you see, if it's semi-autobiographical, if it's autobiographical, it's nonfiction. Okay. So semi-autobiographical doesn't place it either. I, I don't know what I'm dealing with. We really want to decide whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Okay. Semi-autobiographical puts it between those two, and there is really no between those two. Understood. Either it's true, basically going on the idea like either it represents facts that actually happened or it doesn't. And okay. once it doesn't represent facts on, on basically any level, like I say that I was at uh, the eruption of Vesuvius, right? If I wasn't at the eruption of Vesuvius, then it's fiction. Fiction. You know? Yes, understood. Um. The um, and where this review is particularly good, so so it seems like uh, you spend you spend some time, and I don't know in the novel how much time is spent on the. Um, I think you're saying that there's an assassination, and then there's basically a reprisal against the Sikhs yes. that takes place afterwards. I don't know how much time in the book is spent on that, or whether that's basically the you know, in a sense, the inciting incident that sets the, sets the tone for the rest of the book. Um, so it would be good for you if, if you 
were able to explain that to me because I don't know whether it's really about that political event. At first, I don't know whether it's just about that event, but what it seems to be about is that that event takes place and then it's really about this uh, young man's sort of reconciling with that history and particularly in relationship to his grandfather. That seems to be the majority of what this book is about. Is that That's true? Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so it would be good that if that proportionality, okay. that sense of proportionality was also reflected in the review, you could say it's based on this event and then, and then really the aftermath, the psychological aftermath, which are, that's the, that's the scarring. This book is about the scars, not about the wound. Yes. So, but, but once you get into, once you get into the discussion of, um, his personal bias runs through the book in intermittent. So I, I don't, as a, as a work of fiction, I'm not, I, it would help me to know it's a work of fiction and therefore his, his character, his character then has bias. So it's not him. I don't think, I don't know. So that's a little bit unclear to me, you know, whether, we're talking about the character's bias, which is a character trait, or the author's bias, which might be a political bias. Um, I'm not clear. So you, you would probably have to help me understand that a little bit. But once you start talking about the relationship between the, the basically the grandson and the grandfather, I thought you did a really nice job. That's in a novel, Novels are really not about pol politics, right? They're really about characters, character characterization. So that's the focus of a novel, generally. And then, and then, as you say, the plot is basically based on this uh, political event. If the author seemed to have a political bias that he was representing through fiction, for me, that would be a problem that you might want to address. You know, you might be, you would say like, you know, as a, as a depiction of the difficulties of a, of a, a grandson to reconcile a history over which he had no control, this book works on many uh, deep emotional levels. However, the author has a particular political slant, which uh, is infused throughout the narrative that for this reader was troubling. Right. I mean, it's not going to be troubling for someone that agrees with him, but it might be troubling for you who do not agree with him. Right. So but I think that this is a sound review. I, I, I think if you you just have one, you know, rewrite of this and it will be good to go. Uh, I had one or two points. Can I? Yeah. Can I? So the first one is about. Uh, uh, you know, when, when you said that uh, the Northern, my being Northern, I didn't mention that because I thought that if I say that because I'm from the North, I was able to empathize. I'm actually sending every non-Northerner away, uh, making him think that if you're not a Northerner, you will not be able to empathize. So that's why I did not mention that part. Well, so I, so like I say, you want, 
what I think is our best tack for writing is to be honest about ourselves and be honest about our experiences, but also be able to be a writer that can understand other points of view. So if you think that your ability to empathize with this situation is only based on the fact that you share a regionality with the characters, then that's something that you could address because that's actually a failure of the work, right? But you might be like, I, I, I personally had a great interest in reading this book because I'm also from this, from this region. But this book, but this book will work for, for people not only in India, but around the world because it's finally about character struggle and the desire to reconcile oneself with one's past, right? So, so you see, like, remember how I, I started talking about the unique individual and the universal? So this is a, an important thing that we want to address when we read is this, <clears throat> this actually happens quite a lot when I'm, when I'm teaching. So I, I teach a lot of people who are working in memoir. And one of the, the things that it seems like almost everyone that, as a student who's working in memoir fails to recognize is they think that they're only writing about their unique experience. They're like, people throughout the world are going to be interested in the horrible things that happened to me personally. That's not true. The reason readers care is because what happens to the individual, while absolutely unique, needs to have this universal quality too. And this is something that we want to try to address when we're looking at things. Fiction will always, should always reach out to the universal quality. It's not about the individual only. I don't personally care what happened to this kid. I mean, I have my own kids. I have my own, I have my own people that I care about. And I also care about myself. But if I can learn something, this is why the, the essential universal connection for all of us is struggle. Struggle, universal struggle. I talked to Ram in the beginning about the struggle of having doubts. That is a universal struggle, right? A struggle with the environment, a struggle with the past, a struggle with our family members, a struggle to achieve individuality, a struggle to gain community, all of these things are universal traits. And not only shared by us, of course, but also shared by animals, right? It's really shared by all living things. That's the universal quality. Anyway, sorry, I went into a big speech there, but um, it's a really important point to get to when we look at, look at writing. Does it only work on an individual level? A lot of young writers don't understand really this fundamental thing, why we're even writing a story. We are not writing a story about us. We're writing a story about us as an example of a human being engaged in struggle. Understood. So, yeah, I, Ashvani, just uh, play with it a little bit, but just, you know, be, I would just suggest you just be as natural as you can, but really be as open, be as open as a writer, be open to yourself in a sense, to your feelings. They are all valid and try and see other points of view. That's really, that's the key for us. Um, and 
you, I mean, you already express yourself so charmingly. I would just let, let yourself go, let it go. Thank you, Otis. Thank you for all the good, good points, especially the fantastic point about the complementarity of, of unique and universality, uniqueness and universality. That was a great it, point. It has taken me a long time to get to that, a long time. So it is year, years, years of teaching and, and seeing again and again these memoirs where people are like, this horrible thing happened to me, 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 me. And I'm like, this does not work. It doesn't work. Um, you have to put the struggle on the page. It's not just about bad things happening to you. That's, yeah. Well, thank you, Ashwani. I, I'm glad, I appreciate that you appreciate that. Um, let's look at this other work. Uh, Madhavi, are you, is Madhavi here? Hi, Otis. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Where, where are you? Know? you? I'm here. You know. Just a sec. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, okay. Uh, can you tell us a little? So uh, this is our second piece. This is a great piece for us to talk about point of view. This is a great piece for us to talk about point of view. And it's going to, uh, I, I just want to underscore a little bit that <clears throat> When I talk about anything in writing, we're really talking about a cost to benefit ratio. I mean, I hate to be like analytical like that. You know, this is not a corporation. You know, we wanna be free spirited artists, but finally what people in corporations are talking about actually apply to us too. Cost to benefit ratio. So what do we, we're, we're making thousands of choices when we write. We're basically picking one word from a myriad of other words. We're writing one kind of sentence versus all others. So what do we get when we write this thing? And what do we lose? That's what it is. It's just a balancing act, that's all. So in this story, there, <clears throat> there are two points of view essentially, and we'll be able to talk about whether it's a good choice to have two points of view or whether it isn't a good choice. And this is, it's not, you know, it, it really just depends what we're, what we're looking for and the effect that we're looking for. Um, Madhavi, could you tell us a, just a little bit about this piece? Uh, yeah, see, this is this uh, continuation of Aman's story I had shared earlier with you. Uh, Aman is back home to his uncle's place and he doesn't get along with him. Uh, we read about uh, how he gets into an argument with him over uh, uh, security issues at his friend's place. So now he has yeah. taken the matters in his own hands and uh, he went ahead and repaired the window while she was at work. And when she comes back home, this is what happens. Okay. Okay. So, Madhavi, I did not remember the, the other no, story. The I haven't region. sent anything for the last three weeks. So. Right. Right, so it was all fresh for me. Okay, well, great. I think that this is. I think that this story is moving right along, um, and I really just wanted to use it as an illustration for us all to talk about point of view a little bit. Okay, so, and ideally, so that we can, um, so that we can all understand basically how we how we adopt points of view, and 
how they're useful to us. So the, the primary thing that happens in fiction, I think, is we basically, we create a character who's a protagonist. The protagonist is not a, is not a hero, right? I mean, sometimes they're called a hero, but not, they're not heroic necessarily. They have a flaw, whatever. But going back to what we were talking about, universal struggle, they are the one who's struggling in the story. So they're the ones that we attach to as the reader. And we usually attach to them by presenting their point of view, not just by watching them from a distance like a movie, but even being involved in their experience. This is one of the important maxims that I have in writing is that, and I think this is worth writing down. <laughs> Readers do not read to read about an experience. Ashwani, this is also speaking of what we're, they're not reading to read about an experience. They're reading in order to have an experience. They want to have an experience. And from that experience that they have, they arrive someplace that's a benefit to them. They, they achieve what happens for the protagonist is they arrive at a point where they can change. They can decide to either change or not change. So change is comedic or happy ending or not change is tragic, but the reader arrives at that point of choice and they make their own decision about what's the proper thing to do. This is that, and that's what we call epiphany. We call, you know, that's enlightenment in a sense. It's a small enlightenment. So we use point of view for that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, didn't mean to, didn't mean to interrupt, but I have a, I, I have a question. You know, in your uh, notes, you have uh, uh, right at the very top, you have said Sandy POV, and you have underlined a couple of lines. And uh, uh, so I'm I'm not sure you're saying is the POV changing here, or you? Uh, I'm I'm trying to understand uh, your comment. Yeah. Okay, let me let me go through the text because that's actually what I want to get to. Okay, I'm talking about okay, the big, sure. the huge issues. So, as soon as Sandy crossed over the threshold into her compound, she was greeted. Okay, so I, I will just uh, Madhavi, I'll and I'll counsel everyone try to avoid what's called passive verb construction. So, passive verb construction, just very quickly, it's something we all learn as children. We say the the vase was broken. Okay, was broken. It's like, and you know, as a parent, you're sort of frustrated. You may like, who broke the vase? I don't know. It was broken. So there's a there's an actor who does the verb, and then there's the thing that the verb is done to. And when we say the vase was broken, we basically leave out the actor, right? We want to have active verbs in general, and we can do we can do great things for our writing actually by just our, all of our word programs will find every passive verb construction because they're very easy to find because they have some form of to be right there, the was, and then a past participle verb. It's a small little trick that will elevate our writing like 80% um, because I don't know what's doing the verb. And doing the verb, that active verb, that's strong writing and passive writing ends up being much weaker and it also is confusing for the reader since they don't know who's doing what. But um, she was greeted by the sight of utter chaos and mayhem. 
Okay, utter chaos and mayhem is bias, right? In order for it to be bias, it has to be within someone's point of view. So that means it is not the writer. Sorry, I can't really write with my mouse, but not writer. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so when she's, if, if you write the sentence, she was greeted by utter chaos and mayhem, it must be understood through the filter of personality. She's the one who thinks it's chaos and mayhem. Because chaos and mayhem is a perception, it's not a fact. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, her garden certainly didn't look the way it had that very morning. So we're still in her point of view. Um, from the looks of it, the poor little, the poor little saplings. So poor little saplings is again a bias. That's through personality. So that's Sandy. Sandy must be thinking it's a poor little sapling because the universal writer, narrator, the, the God that oversees everything doesn't think that a sapling is either a poor sapling or a not poor sapling, right? So we're still in her, we're in her bias. And that's why it's Sandy's point of view. I would personally suggest one of the greatest things that we have to work with is subjective point of view of character versus objective reality. And I think it's very important to get both of those things working together because they create the fundamental dynamic of our writing is actually individual perception. Like for example, everything happens to me and then you know, where we arrive at is a universal understanding. It's like, ah, universal struggle. So that's kind of the journey of character. So I think it's important to have both. You don't really have both here. We're only in Sandy's point of view. Or it could be that you as the narrator actually have the personality and point of view of this character. You know, I recognize that that's part of our imaginative process. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, it reads, it must, it must read for me as Sandy's point of view because the writer, the omniscient narrator, does not have a point of view. They are objective. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So when we write bias, we are also writing personality. The writer does not have personality. And if they do, then they are actually a, a character in the story. And that's, an, that's another level that I would just suggest we leave aside for now. Okay, so um, from the looks of it, the poor little, the poor little saplings is point of view. Uh, had with, from the looks of it, so even that sentence, right? From the looks of it, that means a person has to be seeing it to think that it's a hurricane. That is point of view. Abhinav, is that is that making any sense? It, no, it it does now. So I was <clears throat> I essentially was trying to understand, uh, uh, you know, the context of of your comment, Sandy POV, and now it makes uh, uh, sense. And certainly the, uh, you know, your point about uh, active versus passive voice. That's. Uh, in my experience, it's it's one incredibly difficult uh, thing to get right, but it, it it requires multiple readings to identify those little uh, you know suckers hiding in in every paragraph, every passage. 
Yeah. Um, it's, but, but working on it will, it is hard, right? It's, it's hard just in that same way that you say, the vase was broken. Okay, it's really hard for that kid to say, I broke the vase. That is hard to do. But doing that hard work means a lot in terms of our writing. It means we actually go into the realm of reality because the, bra- the vase was broken is not a reality. The vase does not break itself. That's not real. The vase must be broken by something. So when we use passive, we're actually writing this non-reality. Whereas when we use active, we're writing a reality that the reader can then discern and appreciate, right? So it's, it's actually a huge, it makes a huge difference. But so in terms of this point of view, so we'll, let's just continue a little bit here. So we stood a hurricane. There were tools littered all over the place and certainly one humongous form of a human being was lying under her kitchen window, his energy well spent. So that's her seeing him. Sandy risked a closer look. We're still with her. Just to verify that he was uh, very much alive and breathing. He shifted. Um, so this is just a small thing. I always, I always set up, then deliver. So I never vary that. I never explain after the fact. We always write after the fact because we catch up with ourselves. But we want to say, just to ver- verify he was very much alive and breathing, Sandy risked a closer look, right? So you see how we set up with the idea, and then we have the execution of action, rather than the action and then explain the action. Does that make sense? That's a little, this is, I'm I'm obviously, I'm being a nitpicky, right? This is so super nitpicky, but this is the level that I, I tried to bring my own writing to when I'm rewriting it. I, you know, these are my little rules. Okay, he shifted and the sudden movement caused her to panic and jerk back. We're still with her. And while doing so, she bumped her head on the window frame. That was odd, she thought, last she had seen her kitchen window was just a square hole. So I don't really understand that, but that's fine. Um, The human form lying prone at her feet groaned and shifted to reveal its identity. Amon was snoring away peacefully. Okay, so once we get to Amon snoring away peacefully, the only person that knows that he's peaceful is him. So we've shifted point uh, of view. Uh, 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 she can see him snoring. She can see his eyelids, you know, fluttering with a dream, in a, maybe even in a rhythmic pattern that suggested a babbling brook. She could see those things, but she doesn't know whether it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. That's his point of view. So if I want him to appear peaceful what i do is i use her point of view to do just what i did describing objective details from which she could think like she could say she looked at Amon, his eyelids were closed they fluttered to her it seemed like a light fluttering as if water over a babbling brook okay i'm overdoing it <laughs> as if water she thought He seems so peaceful. She thought he seems peaceful. This is the little tiny, these are nuances of detail, but they actually have a huge effect. Like the passive verb choice, 
It has a huge effect of whether I'm staying with her or suddenly I'm able to blend into Aman. Because what I do personally, this is, this is like fundamental to my feeling about, so I have attached to the point of view character. The point of view character is the protagonist. The point of view character is the person who's struggling in the story and it's from their struggle that I am going to learn. I'm going to go along with them on their struggle in a sense of verisimilitude. And I'm going to arrive at a place of choice. And I'm going to see which is the good choice and which is the poor choice. And I will also see which one my character makes, right? If I'm attached to her as the protagonist as I am here, walking into the garden, seeing Aman, right? I'm attached to her. If I go into Aman's point of view, you've just taken my consciousness with her, traveling along with her, seeing the world as she sees it. You've grabbed it out of there like a, you know, invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. The alien comes in, grabs my brain out of her and throws it into Aman. The, maybe that's a good thing to do, right? This is where I'm getting to cost the benefit ratio. Maybe that's a good thing to do, but maybe it isn't, right? There's a value, right? There's a, there's a benefit. The benefit is that I can have her point of view and Amon's point of view. That's a benefit, but what is the cost? That is the point. Is if I've attached myself to this character's point of view, isn't that a benefit? It is a benefit. That's actually the biggest benefit that we have. The attachment of the reader. Okay, I don't want to get too into, uh, maybe many of you have children. Many, maybe many of you have seen the images of a duck and the little newborns following them. That's called attachment, right? Attachment is a huge thing. If I've attached to this character and I'm living my life through them, if I break that attachment and then throw my consciousness into another character, what is the cost? And is it worth it? This is the big issue with point of view. It's not for me to answer. So I'm not saying it's a good thing or not a good thing, right? I could say here, so if I look back at this, so we'll go peacefully in the starlit sky, uh, oblivious. Okay, the only person that knows he's oblivious, well, even he doesn't know he's oblivious if he is oblivious. But anyway, it's in his point of view, right? <laughs> to the presence of the dumbstruck Sandy. Um, so... Um, so then we go back to she must have stood there for an eternity by the time she got back. Well, so she, so I don't, I don't want to get too languagey about this, but she must have stood there for an eternity is now an, kind of a third point of view, because if she feels that she stood there for an eternity, you would just write that. You would just write, she stood there for an eternity. That's in her point of view. But she must have stood there for an eternity is yet another point of view. That's like the writer's point of view. So that's, but she, I would just, I mean, that's just a little thing, but I, I just want to point it out. This is the way 
the the point of view shifts because of the words that we choose to write. So for me, I think the greatest thing that we achieve is the attachment of the reader to the character. And therefore, at least within a section, if I want to write Sandy's point of view, I will religiously write only Sandy's point of view. Now, maybe in a different chapter, I write Amon's point of view. And in Amon's point of view, I'll write only Amon's point of view. I will not write the uncle's point of view. In another chapter, look how good I am. I'm like a French mime. Okay, in another chapter, except for I talk a lot. In another chapter, I might write the uncle's point of view, but just the uncle's point of view. Because at each chapter, I need to establish the connection of the reader into this character, and then I want it to be consistent throughout. And, through, and, then, and then if it's another chapter, I'm going to pick this character, and I want it to be consistent throughout. Because I do not want to break that attachment. If I break the attachment a, a lot, then it means that I'm actually, as a reader, I'm never really attached to one character or another. I'm just floating above them. And I don't want that because it's through it's it's through that attachment that we as writers have our greatest power. This is the power of writing: is to form that attachment in a way that no other form can do. No, I mean I just want to repeat that: the movies cannot do it. We might I'm my my daughters identify with a character on the on the on the screen. But they're identifying and they even imagine that they're them, right? And I did that too when I was a kid. But when we write, we create a world through a point of view. And that is a very, very powerful thing. Um, I'll just go, I'll go through a little bit more. So um, she must have stood there for an eternity, still perplexed by this development. So we're back into her point of view, very, very much so. She took some time to get a semblance of order to the chaos of her garden. The tools were picked up, passive. She picked up the tools. The potted plants were straightened. She straightened the plants. When we write those sentences, they actually, the reader really enjoys them. The reader enjoys active sentences. Do not shy away from it. Um, we, we enjoy seeing characters doing things. What characters do shows, shows us what they want. So if she's tidying up the entire garden after Amon has come in, it shows us that she really wants a tidy garden. It, yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, Then she, uh, her heart is racing as at jet speed and she walks in here. Um, this is another instance of the dust and debris were done away with. So that's passive again. She cleaned up. Ha let's have her be active because I can, I can imagine her being active. I'm already attached to her. I go through it with her. I clean up the house, but the house was cleaned, where am I? Where are any of the characters? So passive, passive construction breaks that attachment again of character and, and reader. And we don't want to do that. We want to have that attachment and we want to 
show that uh, we want to show the experience of character that the readers participating in daily in every sentence. Um, okay, so then, so then Sandy got the dinner preparations on the way, and then the tired laborer sleeping peacefully under Sandy's window is Amon's point of view again. So we've shifted the point of view. Then we have, once he got his bearings, once he got his bearings is his point of view. At the same time, Sandy turned up at the other side of the window is her point of view, right? So we're going back and forth between the points of view. Um, their eyes met. Now we have actually their joined point of view for a brief nanosecond and uh, thousands of unspoken words found themselves which is kind of a nice effect. I like this sentence, uh, Madhavi. Thank you. <coughs> um, uh, I like it, and maybe and and so you were, you had each of their points of view going back and forth, and then you arrived at this moment where you merged their point of view into one. So that's a benefit. Is it worth the cost? of having those separate points of view. <coughs> Sorry, earlier. And, and so th does that make sense? So I'm not really, I'm not saying that it's right or the wrong thing to do, but I'm saying that we want to be in charge of what we're doing and do it on purpose. I just wanted them to have a moment together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, right. I just wanted to have a moment together. I didn't want you to lecture me for a half an hour about it. Okay, I get it. Right, I know, I know. We. This is this is it. This is our this is our struggle as writers. Our struggle as writers is yes, you wanted them to have their moment together, but does it cost too much to do it? That's the question. It's not for me to answer. This is what the writers have to think about. Cost to benefit. Yes, the benefit is you wanted to have them together. Yes, and I agree. It was great. Was it worth the cost of taking the reader, grabbing their brain out of one of the characters and throwing it into another character? I don't know. This is... We... Writers are making thousands of choices <laughs> with every single word we write. So it is not easy. And I'm not here to tell you it's easy. Um, I really like this ending here. So we have this, I love that. I love how different they are. I love how different these characters are. Uh, Amon has made this whirlwind, you know, thing he's just like a chaos magnet and uh sandy you know wants everything just so that's really great to bring those two together and then i like that she makes some food and uh and i like so i i write this word i like how surprisingly unsentimental this is this is a key very very effective and uh, something that we should always have operating for us we always we want to create reader anticipation, and then we want to surprise them with what they get. 
So you write something that's sort of this uh, kind of romantic junction between the two of them. And then you surprise us with this lack of sentimentality at the end from Amon. He says, um, you better get a plate now because I'm going to finish this, you know? And uh, that's surprising. That's surprising for me as a reader. It makes my, my brain go tingle, tingle and, and all good things. And so that's a very, that's, a strength. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Thank you. So, yeah, that's it. I try to work around the point of view and see if I can get something better out of it. <laughs> Probably staying with Sandy for some more time. Let's see. Right. And the other thing that we find is that when we try to stay with single points of view, our writing becomes more difficult. We're, we're actually challenging ourselves because like I said, so like it, it's really easy to write, you know, he was sleeping peacefully. That's easy. Okay. I don't want to, I'm not, it's easy. Basically. I, I'm, I recognize that he was sleeping peacefully is more difficult. Right. To, to write Sandy looked at, um, looked at the body, the prone man lying there, his eyes closed, a, a, a flutter, you know, behind his eyeballs fluttering the lid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Writing that is harder, That's right? Important. But trying to write that way makes us a better writer. Sure. I'll Struggling it. to do it makes us a better writer, makes us more, because this is really what we want to do as writers, is we want to become, we really want to be, as writers, we want to be a faithful witness to the world as writers. We can write the subjective opinion to Sandy, it's chaos, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. We can write all that subjectivity, but we as writers want to see the world incredibly accurately. And that's actually without bias. Accuracy of the truest witness does not have a bias. So when we, when we start operating with point of view, it forces us to be more, it forces us to be better writers and we, we get better. So I, I suggest it in order to develop our craft. Sure. I'm shifting faster to act papers. Yeah, but I, I love, I love these that. characters. I love these characters. I love their situation. Uh, I, I, you, you reminded me of the uncle now and that, yeah. that exchange earlier, uh, the diner, um, all of that. So I'm, I'm really enjoying these characters. And that is, we've talked about that with um, uh, Rashma's work, and we talked about it last week. The, the thing that we have to work with that's most important are characters. People are miracles. Get those people onto the page, and everything good happens. And um, that's it. Good. No, this is uh, excellent, uh, Otis. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of useful nuggets with respect to the narrator, the point of view, and you know, act of passive. I mean, those are kind of you know obvious points, but I think uh, they bear repeating every every you know now and then, every so often, uh, and seeing them put. You know, seeing seeing that feedback uh, interspersed with actual writing uh, definitely helps rather than you know it being in the abstract. So, wonderful session. I uh, learned a lot. I hope all of you did. 
and we will see you again next week again uh, you know let others also know about these sessions uh, uh, you know i do tweet and put this out on facebook uh, uh, every now and then but uh, do spread the word the more people who make use of this the better and we will uh, talk to you next sunday then okay great thanks everyone thank you thank you thank everyone. you otis yeah. Bye. Thank you, Otis.